If you're here uh, on campus, welcome to Grace Church. We're glad you're here. If you're online with us, if you uh, are visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And if you're a regular online, thank you for being so faithful to us online as well. So here we are. We're finishing our last psalm today. And uh, we're going to start something brand new next weekend and, and, the, and for the summer. And so today we find ourselves in Psalm 63. And Psalm 63 is such a great beautiful expression. And what we're going to discover in Psalm 63 is David's secret sauce. David had, he had superpowers. I'm just telling you. And we're going to, we're going to discover this morning what those secret powers, that super sauce was. And uh, so Psalm 63, if you brought your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. And if you brought one of your devices, uh, get, get it all set, settled and let's go and just see what God has for us today. So as you study the Psalms, what you're going to notice is that there are many different kinds of Psalms in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that genre, in that there are songs. And so there are many different kinds. So for example, there are some Psalms that are called Psalms of Lament. This is where David says, life is really tough and God, it doesn't seem like you care, but I love you anyway. That's a Psalm of Lament. And then there are psalms that are psalms of worship. They're just pure worship to God. And then there are psalms that are psalms of wisdom. That we're, they just impart wisdom to us. Today in Psalm 63, what we're going to look at is a psalm of confidence. And so I'm going to just break the news here right up front. David, this is David's secret sauce. This is why David was such an amazing man of God. Is that David had this idea... That, that he was going to praise God no matter what the outcome. That's Psalm 63. That's a psalm of confidence. Lord, I'm, from the very beginning, I'm just going to let my lips praise your name. And if, honestly and truthfully, that probably doesn't describe very many people in this room because I think we're probably A-plus warriors. Right? Amen? Come on. That's our first, you know... You know, that's our first line of defense is let's worry about this until I, you know, maybe along the way I'll figure out how to pray about it. But, you know, I'm going to worry about it first because that has always helped in the past, right? <laughs> so that's what we normally do is we just worry about it because it's so effective along the way. But David had this secret sauce and David praised and worshiped God in spite and before the outcome, before, the, before he knew what the outcome was going to be. And that's what we're going to discover in Psalm 63. So David wrote this psalm when he, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And we're not exactly sure, scholars aren't exactly sure why he wrote this or what the circumstances were, but there was probably one of two. So I'm going to tell you what my best guess is here, is that David is probably fleeing from Saul, who was angry at him and jealous of him. So David has to run for his life, flee the city of Jerusalem, flee his homeland, and now David, as he's writing this psalm, is writing from a cave. He's living and eating and sleeping in a cave in the wilderness. So this isn't exactly how everyone scripts their life, right? You didn't get up this morning and say, man, before today's over, I hope I am sleeping in a cave somewhere. <laughs> and I hope, I hope the people around me are mad and jealous and want to kill me. That is probably not going to be a great Father's Day for you if that's your case. So uh, the bottom line is, is that in David's life, the bottom had dropped out and he was separated from, from his home. But even more importantly than that, 
he was separated from the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Now, why was that such a devastating event in David's life? He was not only separated from his home, but now his sanctuary, or the sanctuary. So in the Old Testament, the sanctuary represented the, the dynamic presence of God. So when you think of the dynamic presence of God, that was seen, that was seen in all of its glory in the temple. That was, that was what it was all about. But as we fast forward into the New Testament, this is the great news for people who live as New Testament believers in Jesus. The moment you get on your knees and receive Jesus as your Savior, this is what happens. The Father, that, in that very second, sends the Holy Spirit and seals you. The Holy Spirit comes inside of your life, seals you until the day of your redemption. And you now have, listen to this, this is so amazing and uh, so great. The, the reality is, is that you now have, no matter what your circumstance in life, the dynamic presence of God 24-7 in you. That is the hope that we have. That's the, that's the life of faith that you and I live out. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, right? Sometimes it feels like God has abandoned me. Sometimes it feels like he's far away from me. But the reality is, is that I possess the dynamic presence of God right now. But in David's case, when he had to flee for his life, he left the dynamic presence of God. That's how God worked in the Old Covenant. So now he's alone and he's in this cave and he is expressing his, his uh, discouragement, but he's also expressing his confidence in God. So with that in mind, I want to ask this question. Have you ever been where David is right now? In, in our text, Psalm 63, where you feel like you are empty, you're running on empty. That's where David was. David had nothing left in his tank. He had nowhere to turn. His, who he thought his friends were, turned out that they were traitors. He's now alone. He has a few loyal people that are around him, but he is running on empty. And so how then do I know whether I'm running on empty? Let me give you a test to see if you pass or fail. I know that in my life when I'm running on empty, when I say this to God, God, if you don't help me, I'm not going to get through the day. That's empty, right? That's how I know. Anybody been there? God, if you don't give me your strength today, I need your strength just to get to bed tonight. That's running on empty. And we live in a culture where empty is an, at epidemic portions. David experienced it, and our culture is experiencing empty all the time. In fact, this is fascinating. Japan has appointed a minister of loneliness to try and reduce the loneliness and social isolation among the residents of his country. That's this guy right here. He's the minister of loneliness. I don't know what the guy does all day. You know, makes phone calls, gets on Twitter. I don't know what he does all day, but he's the minister of loneliness. And here's, here's what's interesting. The reason they appointed him into this position is last October, more people in Japan died of suicide than COVID altogether for the entire year. More people died of suicide. And America, just in case you're, you know, so I can see your reaction, America's not far behind them because mental illness, mental distress, 
suicide, anxiety, depression are at epidemic portions in the country that you and I live, that we call our home. And so what's in Psalm 63 is absolutely essential for us. And let me just unpack that just a little bit further for you. Loneliness not only is a killer emotionally, but they have discovered that it, is, it puts you in a high risk for other health disorders. Things like dementia. Did you know that when you are, go through long periods of loneliness in your life, you're at a high risk for things like that, for heart disease and many other illnesses? It is a very devastating thing. And God has given us the cure in Psalm 63 as we see it in David's life. And uh, so David finds himself in a cave, lonely, and this loneliness breeds a longing in his soul for the presence of God. A deep longing. Something like you and I probably have never experienced. David is longing for the presence of God in his soul. In fact, the word soul in Hebrew, nephesh, is used four times in this section of Scripture. And nephesh literally means uh, life itself that represents vital life. It's life itself. So David, not only in his soul and in spirit, but in his body, is experiencing whatever horrendous tragedy that's going on. And so there are four things that David says about his life, about his soul. So let me just show them to you. I haven't got to the text yet, so here we go. Psalm 63, verse 1. This is what it says. O God, you are my God. I'm going to slow this down a bit for you. Notice the pronouns here. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul, nephesh, my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So David's soul, we discover in this section of Scripture, David's soul now thirsts for God. But this isn't just, I'm kind of thirsty. This isn't a let's go into a restaurant and let's order some iced tea thirst. This is a thirst that's debilitating. David describes his desire for God in such a powerful word picture here. He describes his desire for God like being in a barren desert where there's no rain. Now, around here, we live in a desert, right? But at least we have like six inches of water a year. You know, you go out like to the Black Rock Desert and, you know, it, does, it seems like a barren desert, but they get water out there too. But David's painting a different picture here. David is painting a picture of a place where it's so barren that when it rains, the ground opens up and soaks it in so that 15 minutes after a rainstorm, you don't even know it rained. That's the kind of picture that David is describing. He desires greatly to soak in God himself, but he can't find him. As hard as he tries to search, he can't find him. He describes his desire in several key ways. Earnestly, he earnestly searches for God. It's not like, Okay, God, I'm going to do a five-minute devotion this morning and feel good about myself and go on. He is earnestly in his soul and his body longing to experience something from God. It comes from his innermost being. That's where it comes from. 
from his innermost being. Like a deeply thirsty man, his body craves God like a man who has not had water in a very long time. Then he says, my whole body, not just my soul, my whole body craves for you. And so this word picture is so clear and so powerful and so convicting about our own lives, right? When is the last time we sought God in that way? Where I am so thirsty, I am so, I'm so dehydrated that I can't go on, I can't go on another step without drinking in the presence of God. This is pretty convicting in a culture that has every tool to experience God, right? Most of us have more Bibles in our home than we know what to do with. And some of them are dusty, right? Come on now. Isn't that true? You and I live in a culture that we don't, we don't, have, we don't have a desert for, in a relationship with God. We have a flood. God has given us all the things that we need that pertain to life and godliness. And yet, we leave them untouched. And that's a tragedy. That really is. So I want to tell you a sad, true story. So there was this guy from New Jersey that signed up for a experience in the desert. And uh, it was day two in the blazing Utah desert. His name was Dave, and he was in really tough shape. This experience was designed to take you to your outer limits to take you as far as you could go and press you beyond that to where eventually you would go and you would find out who, what you were really made of. So he was pale, racked by cramps. His speech was slurred. This is day two of this experience. 29 years old, desperate for water, hallucinating in the middle of the Utah, this Utah desert. In fact, he mistook a tree for a person. And after going roughly... 10 hours without anything to drink in temperatures of 110 degrees. He finally dropped dead of thirst. Tragic, tragic story. But that's not the tragedy of it. The tragedy of it was is that in this experience that he was having, he also went, there was 10 other people with him in this experience, and he had a guide who had water but didn't give him water because he wanted to see whether he could make it or not. So he withheld the water from him because he was only about 100 yards away from finishing the course. And he dropped dead. The, the guide apparently didn't recognize the signs. He dropped, died right there. And, uh, and when we hear that story, I mean, this is a true story and it's sad and it's tragic, isn't it? He had water and he died needlessly. 100 yards away in a cave was his pool of water. And right next to him was a guy that had water in a canteen. And as you think about that tragedy, I'd agree. It was pretty... Um, pretty uh, Pretty devastating. But here's a greater tragedy. In this experience called life, Jesus offers us living water. He offers us living water, doesn't he? And he says, you, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And yet, 
We let all sorts of other things fill us up so that we don't have a thirst for this living water that Jesus offers. It's pretty tragic. And this is what I love about David. David was called a man after God's own heart. So let me tell you why I think that David is called a, God after, a man after God's own heart. I think, I, think that, I think I'm right. You can tell me if I'm wrong afterwards. I think that if you study the life of David, you'll discover that David didn't just search after God in these times. David sought after God with all of his heart, mind, and soul 24-7. He was a man in the good times and the bad times that sought after Yahweh. That is, that is, that is so amazing. And kind of, here's how it kind of works out for you and I, honestly. I'm going to give you another word picture. It's kind of like, you know, you and I go to a buffet and we go through the buffet 10 times, right? Five times. Fill ourselves with as much as we can, we can eat. And then we wonder why we don't want to have dessert, right? And that's what, that's what happens in us, in our relationship with God. We go through this amazing buffet that the world offers. And then we have no room for that, that which really matters inside of our life. That brings us to verse 2. So David is crying out to God. And then in verse 2 he says, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. So David had an experience. David had somewhere along his journey before he got to the cave. David had an experience with God and he had an experience, not only God's glory, but God's power. He has apparently had this encounter in worship with his God and, and he has tasted of what God's life is like. And this was absolutely life-changing to David. Absolutely life-changing. This is what God revealed to David, verse 3. And this is David's secret sauce. And if you get it, this is going to be your secret sauce too. Verse 3 says, in the midst of this encounter that David has with God, verse 3 says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. God's loyal love, that's the word kesed in the Hebrew. God's loyal love was better than anything David had ever experienced in this world. And this was King David. David lived in a really well-off way. It wasn't, I mean, yeah, he came from, you know, being a shepherd boy, but by the time he gets and writes this verse, David has tasted the world's offerings and knows what they're like. And David says, in all of my life, I haven't found anything, anything, anything that is better than God's loyal love to me. It was better than anything that you could, you could experience. It's better than golf. Do you believe that? Oh, now you just started meddling with my life, Pastor Dan. It's better than motorcycles. Oh, and here's, this is, this is, uh, this is going to be hard for some of you. It's better than sex. It is. It's better than sex. God, David discovered that God's loyal love was better than anything that he had ever experienced in life. Vacations, cars, even 
Watch this. Even family itself. David experienced the kind of love that God had in an experiential way, in such a way that David concluded that I could give all that up if I just had God's loyal love. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart. That's why when he ended up in a cave, he was able to praise and worship God before the outcome. Because he had this in-depth knowledge of the love of Christ. And it was so deeply profound in David's life that he made this vow to God. Watch this, verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. As long as I have breath, David says, I will praise you. I will worship you. I will follow you, in other words, because of this experience, this encounter that he had and what God taught him in that moment in time. There's a, there's a second thing that David says, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's found in verse 5. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I will lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I don't wake up in the middle of the night and turn the TV on and see what's on CNN. David says, when he woke up in the middle of the night, you know what he thought about? He thought about his God, about his loyal love, about amazing things that God had done. Because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. David's soul was satisfied with God. And here's truth. David's in a cave talking about how satisfied he is. I wonder if I would be in a cave by himself, enemies attacking him. But here's the truth. This is what I think he rested in. David is being plagued by these enemies, but David's enemies have made themselves God's enemies. Isn't that good? David's enemies had made themselves God's enemies because God was his defender. So I'm telling you all that to say this, don't mess with me. <laughs> and you should say, Pastor Dan, wait a second here. This verse is for me too. So don't be messing with me. Right? Come on. I mean, that, this is powerful stuff. And so David learns to sing and worship God before he knows what the end will be. That was his secret sauce. Superpower, because he knew God's loyal love, he was able to sing and worship God before the outcome of God's delivering power over his life. David could do that because he knew three things about God. First of all, he knew that God loved him. I mean, he knew that God loved him, experienced God's love for him. There's one thing to read the Bible and intellectually agree with it. Oh yeah, God God. God loves me. But what David discovered about God isn't what, it wasn't the fact that God loves me. He discovered about God that God is love. And if I'm in a relationship with God, I am in, I'm in connection with love. And that could never be broken. So David knew the love of God from experience. David knew it. 
not just because he had read his Bible. David knew the love of Christ because of his encounter with him. It's so powerful. The second thing that David knew is that David knew God has unlimited power. God loves me, has unlimited power. And thirdly, the third thing that, God, that David knew about God is that God is his defender. Now, those three things, let's think about those three things. I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what you will go through in life. But here's what I know. David knew, David knew because God loved him and because God had power and because God was his defender, David knew at the very word of God, at the, all God had to do was breathe out a syllable, think the thought, and David's rescued. Right? That's what David knew. So what, whatever David was going through, David was confident. That's why he writes his psalm of confidence. He was confident in his God. Whether he would deliver him or not, he didn't know. But he had that kind of faith and that kind of trust in this God who was his defender. So here's the bottom line. Either God is going to, if that's the case, then, you know, God doesn't deliver us from all our problems, right? So either God delivers me from them or through them. So, but either way, God is my defender. God is a loyal lover of my soul. That God follows me. Psalm 23 says that God persecutes me with his loyal love all the days of my life. He hunts me down like a hunter would hunt an animal. He hunts me down with his loyal love. So I can have confidence. I don't have to rush to worry. I don't have to rush to, you know, figuring out how I'm going to solve this problem because God is God. And I can trust in him. So, Many of you know that I've had an illness that has lasted for nine years. And, uh, it, you know, I am 98% better today. But for about seven of those nine years, I begged God to kill me. I said, God, if you can't do this, just take me. And God, and this is what I knew about God. God had the power. God had, all God had to do was think it. And it was done. That's all he had to do. But God didn't do that. You know what God did instead? He delivered me every single day. Every single day by his power and his, by his faithfulness. There were days that I didn't know how I was going to get to the end of the day. There were days like that. And I'll tell you the truth. I wouldn't trade one of those days today for a day sitting by the swimming pool with a cup of iced tea drinking. I wouldn't trade any of those days because this is what I learned about God. I learned that he always does what he says. I learned that in spite of how I feel, in spite of what's going on in my life, he has this loyal love to my life and he's going to persecute me with that loyal love all the days of my life. He's going to hunt me down and he's going to pour his loyal love out on me every single day. And I learned that he was my defender. 
that he stood up and defended. I would have people that would message me on Facebook. And I can't, I'm telling you, honestly, I can't tell you here what some people said to me in my illness, about my illness, you know, just being hurtful. Their intent was to be hurtful. Their intent was to crush, not to build up. And yet God is my defender because here I stand. Here I stand as a testament, the fact that God loves me, that God's power is sufficient, and that God is my defender. And that is the, as that's what David learned. And so I'm learning today, learning today, to stop rushing to worry and stop, start confessing God's delivering power in advance, just like David did in Psalm 63. I hope you learn that too. This is such a powerful thing. So David's only response had to be, verse four, I will praise you as long as I live. That, that could be his only, only response, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. That's the only normal response to a living, delivering, powerful, loving God that has your best interest, that has your eternity in mind and has things planned for you that you can't believe. That's the only response is that all my days, I'm just going to praise you with every last breath that I have. And I hope that's true of all of us. So let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for a glorious truth of your power and your magnificence and your love and your defense of us, God. We don't deserve it, but you do. You, you do it anyway, God. And we love you for that and praise you for that. In Jesus' holy name, I pray. Amen.